Hi, I'm David Pollan, and this is the hot button number 42, measuring content moving forward. It has now become as ubiquitous or more ubiquitous than box office analysis, streaming analysis. And every time I come across it, I cringe. Not because the people doing the analysis are anything less than super smart. Not because I don't love crunching numbers. Not because actually knowing these details doesn't seem interesting. Not because I don't want the analytics wonks to make a living taking full advantage of a new market where potential clients are endlessly confused. My problem is these numbers, in many ways, mean absolutely nothing. Everything about the current analysis of detailed results of subscription services is about how we saw value in the past, not the present, much less the future. Do results have an impact on the talent involved with whichever shows? Yes, of course. It can change how these individuals in front of and behind the camera are valued within the, the industry aka their next deal, but there is always a way to measure that. Agents are geniuses at this, and as most shows and series are failures, not successes, the lack of a set figure has actually been a boon for agents, benefiting the majority of their clients. Essentially, ratings for streaming services are like ratings for pay TV services at this point, almost exclusively for publicity. The measure of the model is subscribers, subscriber ads, churn, and the price that can be extracted from each household, aka average revenue per unit. ARPU. This, ARPU. But where we are today with all of this is not where I expect to see us in the future, as we continue to head away from the all-you-can-eat era of cable television and to the Chinese restaurant menu era of television, where you pick from column A, B, and C. Until now, Netflix and those following in the streaming business have mostly been consumer add-ons to cable sat and satellite. $10 here, $8 here, $15 here. Some people are cutting the cord, but not anywhere near a majority. Those keeping MVPDs cable and satellite, have looked for ways to f lower their monthly bills to make room for the streaming spends. But those same MVPDs in cable and satellite have adjusted how they sell their packages to make paring down less and less attractive. There are many drags in the near future of streaming, primarily poor household internet service, for a lot of people cutting the cord is an act of faith. People will spend a surprising amount of time watching a spinning circle in the middle of their screen if a show ends up turns up in the end. But that's not going to be the image to win the television revolution. Home internet service will have to improve overall, and it surely will, not unlike mobile telephone service, but it's going to take time. Which brings me to Red Notice. Weirdly, to Red Notice. This film is now being touted by Netflix as their most viewed launch of a film ever. Huzzah! But what does it really mean? Not literally, conceptually. Because I don't know anyone who would argue that Red Notice has had the same kind of cultural impact as Squid Game. And almost as few would argue that Red Notice has had really any cultural impact at all. So what is the film's value to Netflix? And how do we value other successes on other subscription streaming services? Not numbers, real or made up. Value, real and conceptual value to those companies paying for the content. According to Bloomberg, internal measures at Netflix say Squid Game generated $891.1 million of impact value. But what the fuck is impact value? I don't mean to just demand a cash value. I'm happy to engage the idea of impact having value, especially because there's no direct cash value to any show on Netflix. So what does the number actually mean? Well, Bloomberg doesn't know. And no media outlet can explain it because we don't have the internal math that Netflix uses. It's an algorithm. Not the most famous algorithm, but it's an algorithm. So let's consider this. If Netflix's internal valuation algorithm is telling Netflix that a show has a value of a billion dollars, is it intentionally misleading itself? As in, it's nearly impossible to measure a direct effect on the mood of our subscribers based on any show, so we've made up a number that'll make us feel like we're more in control of something we really can't control. 
I mean, no harm, no foul. A company that deeply believes in analytics is going to want something more than the feelings of a human executive to lean on. I tend to believe this is a bit self-delusional, but that's not something you can't say about a lot of corners of this industry. This doesn't, but this still doesn't answer the initial question, however. And it's not just about Netflix or any particular lineup of shows or movies. How do industry companies measure the value of content seriously moving forward? At this moment, the portion of effort being made to satisfy Wall Street, including pushing the media to sell the success and never even consider anything greater or lesser, is enormous. And for its part, media has almost completely ignored the ramifications of shifting an industry from a solid, mature market to one based on faith more than the details of the businesses. It's a bit like America leaving the gold standard. The television industry is leaving the revenue standard behind. Do you understand how the US dollar is valued in the world, measured on public markets every day? Well, neither do I, except in the broadest sense. But I do know that it's people who are looking at various metrics and making moves based on their instincts. Is there any objective reason for Disney stock to be down 17% in the last six months and for Netflix to be up 53%? That's a rhetorical question because the answer is obviously no. With zero judgment against either company, positive or negative, the swing between the two stories cannot be rationalized. It can only be accepted because that's the fact. Where we are today is complicated by the fact that Netflix is years ahead of anyone else in the maturity of their operation. So they're working on one set of goals and everyone else is working on a different set of goals. For instance, Squid Game has had very little of any apparent impact on subscriptions for Netflix in the US or Canada but it's very significant in Asian markets. But no one else is really there yet where they're ready to be there for that step. Would Squid Game have been more helpful to Amazon or Hulu domestically? Yeah, probably. But would their lack of international numbers kept the publicity value inhibited? Yeah, also that. Would Squid Game have been anywhere near the impact it had been on Peacock or on Paramount Plus? Probably not. The show would have added subs, but the scale of the streamers is not great enough to take advantage of this kind of potential hit at this point in their history. The streamers are all at different levels of maturity and therefore are both constructed to and able to take advantage of opportunity differently. Some better, some worse. But we're still not answering the core question. Again, how does one measure the return on product that doesn't have any clear financial return? after all the hysteria of this transition calms down a bit and take a couple years, this is what I suspect that we'll see. As there has been for quite a while, there will be a memorialized series of revenue streams for any piece of content, most of which already exist. Some product will be intended to serve only one master. Those would be shows or movies made exclusively for paid subscription, streaming services, and support exclusively of those subscriptions. Everything outside that very specific window will serve more than one master or revenue source. So there's that. There's the paid subscription streaming, there's free subscription streaming, there's ad-based subscription streaming, there's theatrical, there's the pay one window, there's cable and satellite deals or sales, there's video on demand, there's premium video on demand, physical media, broadcast TV, international broadcast and syndication, and I'm sure I'm leaving something out. But so far, Netflix has been all paid subscription streaming exclusives. They've done some theatrical windows, but not without serious interest in creating new revenues. Disney has mixed and matched with a series of their series, their TV series, on paid subscription streaming exclusive. But some movie titles have add, then added physical media and PVOD and VOD. In time, I suspect all of this stuff will end up on their broadcast television and their cable outlets, but that's down the road. Comcast Universal NBC has been quite aggressive in playing to all fields. The paid subscription streaming exclusive for movies on Peacock has actually been quite rare, but they've done a handful of series this way. 
Mostly they put movies in theaters with shortened windows before going to PVOD and then VOD and then physical media, vary their timing, going to their dual paid and free subscription streaming service, then pushing the content to their longstanding pay one window with HBO, and eventually going to broadcast an ad-based subscription. In other words, every possible revenue stream aside from streaming exclusives. Sony doesn't have a major streaming platform as of yet, so they've sold their pay one slot to Netflix starting next year. This is a new thing. Even so, they're staying out of the paid subscription streaming exclusive box and using everything other than that, except for this flip, uh, which is going on with Netflix, is starting with a real theatrical window for movies. Um, but this thing with the pay one thing is a little bit interesting because in some ways, this is what's happening for everybody anyway. Uh, for instance, if you are um, Warner Brothers, for instance, if your movie is going to HBO, it's also going to HBO streaming to HBO Max. So there's this moment where there is a kind of real interesting merger between Pay One and that first streaming window. Um, and anyway, Sony's leading the way. Paramount does have its own streaming platform, but it's really just starting to service it with original content. So far, it's been an outside version of the CBS streaming platform with more Paramount side content. On the studio side, they've sold off a vast majority of their commercial feature films in the last period, both right before the pandemic and then since, and have held only five titles between 2020 and 2021 of significance um, that they will then release in 2022, along with some brand titles that were already there. That entire 2021 ride release schedule was four movies this year. And they have new boss because he was responsible for one of those four movies, which grossed a total of $40 million domestic. So who knows what they will do next. Warner Media is heading into yet another year of transition. New boss, the theatrical window is back. Their first ride release in the theaters is The Batman on March 4th. HBO will continue being HBO. So they're gonna have to decide to navigate, how they navigate all those choices, we'll, we'll find out as we find out. And still, I don't seem to be answering my question. How will we measure content on a consistent basis going forward? Well, ultimately, I suspect there will be an equation, not too much unlike Netflix's equation of impact value, that will be a variable in the overall numbers that we figure out what the value is. This equation will not be like ratings or box office that we've seen in the last 50 years because it'll take months for it to actually make any sense. I think it'll be calculated and put out publicly quarterly, not instantly or weekly or even monthly, because a day or a week or a month of data will not be enough to accurately reflect success or failure or any of the details. Historically, studios created ultimates, they still do, projecting out all the revenue streams for each piece of content, which is then adjusted as the actual data comes in. These numbers are not publicized, they rarely end up being reported, either before, during, or even in the late st stages of content release. The only area in which these numbers, which are aspirational first, are now being kept, still being kept blind to the working partners on a show or film is in this paid subscription streaming exclusive model. Media, of course, sees this as the only model that matters, so they're kind of happy with it, but it's, it's in its dying days of that, that moment is over. If you want to know why Netflix switched over to an hour's watched public metric, it's likely because they've determined that overpaying to compensate for potential revenue earnings that will never ever come to pass in this exclusive streaming window is more expensive than paying on performance. In their now very brief two-minute top 10 era, you can be sure that agents were trying to set deals with triggers because of appearances in that rating. Oh, we got to number two, we should get another whatever amount of money. They'll now be looking for bonuses at 100 million hours, 250 million hours, etc. 
at some moment, I would bet $50 bills to donuts, and we can't say dollars to donuts anymore because it makes no sense with $3.50 donuts out there. That there'll be a, that'll be the fifth time they had a negotiation for top talent where the agent said to Netflix, well, if you can't tell us what the numbers are, you're going to have to pay us for what you're hoping they'll be. Netflix decided it was time to make a change. So, have I answered my own question? Mm, only kind of. I guess the answer is that agents and the content distributors will work it out, as they always do, and that the main point of the public discussion of hits and misses will be positive publicity almost exclusively, and eventually box office reporting is more likely to be phased out than serious streaming ratings are likely to be phased in. But my real question to myself when I started this piece was, what do the numbers we're seeing from Netflix mean to us as a culture, when so often there are these giant numbers and the ripples in the pond seem so small? I got caught up in the business side and didn't really end up even addressing the cultural side. That will, I guess, have to wait for another newsletter. Until tomorrow.